Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Acts chapter number 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9, we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids ages 4 years old through 4th grade to Children's Church, 4 years old to 4th grade. Pray for me as I preach today. Um, I am probably going to lose my voice, especially since I'm singing tenor before uh, I have to get up here. So, But uh, I've had, had a cold on Monday, and the effects are still lingering behind in my throat, so I'm going to try to... <clears throat> try to get my voice loud enough so you guys can hear, okay? <laughs> so, but uh, this this text here, that I wrestled with it, with it throughout the week because there, honestly, there's so many good things that could be preached from this text. There's so much found in it. And I wanted to preach what the Lord designed for this text, the message that he wanted for us to hear today. And really, when I look at this, there you could take this text, it's Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through the end of the chapter, which talks about the death of Tabitha. And really, that could be a parallel to my previous message on lamenting the death of a saint, right? We talked about Stephen's death, and you could talk about Tabitha's death and the people who were mourning and lamenting over, over her passing. 
but I didn't think that was the main thrust of the text. Also, you could also talk about how the gospel is now going out to other parts of the world because uh, Peter in these chapters is going out to more coastal regions and he's preaching the gospel in areas that, that the gospel hadn't quite reached into and anticipating the ministry of Peter with the Gentiles in the next chapter. <clears throat> you could also take this text and you could look at uh, the ministry of Tabitha and different things like that. But really, I had to stop and ask myself, what did Luke intend to be the point of this text? And I think it all boils down to Luke is highlighting the ministry of the Apostle Peter in, in these few verses right here. The previous section had introduced Paul getting saved, right? And then from chapters... Nine, the end of chapter 9 to chapter number 13, we're going to continue to read about the Apostle Peter and, and the things that God did through the Apostle Peter. And when you think about Peter and the ministry that he had, <clears throat> you, you see one thing that's true about Peter, and that, that is that Peter stayed really, really busy. He was a, he was a doer. Um, throughout the book of Acts, we see he's in Jerusalem, and he's there, and he's uh, preaching in Jerusalem in the temple, and then he goes to and he confirms the ministry of Philip in Samaria. Now he's in Lydda and Joppa, and he's traveling all around, and he keeps himself occupied. And this isn't something that was new for Peter. You think back to his ministry with Jesus when he was a disciple following in Jesus' steps. You remember after the resurrection, Peter was uh, told to wait for the Lord, basically, right? They were told to wait. And what did Peter do? He got antsy, and he said, I go a-fishing. Right? How many of you guys like fishing? Okay. Anyways, he says, I go a fishing. And he, he has to do something. He has to keep his hands busy. And so he takes all the disciples and they go fishing. And then Jesus meets them on the beach at the, uh, after they've gone fishing. But Peter wanted to stay busy. And I think a lot of times we can look at busyness like it's a bad thing. And it can be a bad thing. But it isn't inherently a bad thing to stay biz busy. In fact, oftentimes it is easier for the Lord to direct our lives when we're already doing something. Think about this. Think about the car that you have in your, in your driveway. As long as it sits in the parking lot with the ignition turned off, can you steer it and direct it to go one way or the other? Maybe you can make the wheels go. But is it going anywhere? Unless you put it in neutral, it might go into your house. Okay? So it's not going anywhere as long as it is parked. If you want to direct that car, what do you got to do? You got to turn the ignition on. You got to put it into gear and you got to drive it. And because it's moving now, you can steer and you can direct it to go somewhere that you want to go. It's oftentimes the same way with our lives. When the Lord wants to do something in us, he wants to find somebody who is already doing something for him. Remember, Jesus talked about being faithful in the little things. God has given us a lot of little things in our lives that, that we should be doing for him. And he wants us to be faithful in those things. And then if we can prove ourselves faithful in those things, he will give us greater things to do for him. But Peter was busy. So, and remember Genesis 24, verse 27. It's the story of uh, when Elimelech, I is it Elimelech? My mind's fuzzy. Eliezer, there you go. Okay, Eliezer. Okay, Eliezer goes to find a wife for Isaac. And <clears throat> God brings um, <clears throat> Rebekah to the well. And he asks her to uh, feed or to water his camels and, and uses this as a sign to determine the Lord's will for his master's wife. And Eli Eliezer says in the, in the last part of the verse, he says in verse 20, 
27, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute his, my master of his mercy and his truth. Then he says this interesting phrase, I being in the, Lord, the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Eliezer, sorry, I keep saying the wrong name. Eliezer put himself in a position where he could be used by God. And, Pe and, and Peter here in this sense, he is busy about doing ministry and allowing the Lord to lead in his life. But so P Peter's ministry was busy. Peter's ministry was oft, oft, also oftentimes a very public ministry. Peter, you think of uh, Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, and he preaches to thousands of people, and thousands of people get saved. That's a very public thing. He goes into the temple, and he heals the lame man, and all the people swarm around him to hear what he has to say, right? That's a public ministry, and a lot of what Peter did was very public. But as we get into our text today, we're going to see that Peter didn't just have a public ministry. He had a private ministry, one-on-one -on -one with individuals. So Peter had a busy ministry. He also had a very public ministry. But I think, <clears throat> and I think this, this idea of, of having a personal ministry is important because a lot of times pastors and preachers, we can get sucked up into thinking that this is all there is to our ministry. Standing up here and preaching. I've known many pastors who, who fell into this trap, especially if larger churches. They get so big, they get so... Uh, stuck on everything that they have to do, that they have no one-on-one -on -one relationship with their people. In fact, as having been a missionary on deputation, there was a meeting we had where we went to a church. It was a larger church for a missionary uh, meeting, and I never even talked to the pastor the entire time I was there. I was there to present our ministry to go to the mission field, and I was delegated to another staff member. I didn't get to talk to the pastor because he's just too busy to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with people, and Peter was not like that. Peter reminds me of when Jesus talked about the shepherd who, who has 99 sheep in the fold, right? But yet, what does he do? He leaves the 99 sheep to go and search after the one lost sheep. He has a personal, private ministry with individuals in, in his life. And so Peter had a very busy ministry. <clears throat> Peter also had a very public ministry, but he also had a very effective ministry. If we look at our text here, in Acts chapter 9, verses, let's just look at verse 35 and verse 42 here. <clears throat> Talking about after, after Peter has healed these individuals, verse 35 says, And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Could you imagine preaching, doing ministry for the Lord, and it impacts everybody in your community? All that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, they saw what Peter had done, and they turned to the Lord. They responded. There, it was effectual. It, it actually accomplished something, his ministry. And then verse 42, after he's healed Tabitha, it says, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. What he had done, God used it greatly. Peter was a man who had a ministry that God was able to use. Now, when we talk about ministry, a lot of times in our minds, we think of the preacher, or we think of the song leader. Or we think of an evangelist, or a Bible college president, or a teacher, or something like that, right? But ministry is not just for those who have a public ministry here in the church where we have speaking positions. Ministry is something that all of us are called to enter into. Think of Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. 
It talks about how God gave and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give us the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the apostles, all these people? Why did he give them? For the work of the ministry, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And that, that second for there is actually the word in. It's the idea of the pastor is to perfect the saints in the work of the ministry. They are to equip the believers to do the ministry, to give them the skills that they need to, do, to have to minister to the rest of the body. Um, pastors are intended to be like coaches, like a football coach coaches a team. Does the coach run out there and score touchdowns? Most of the coaches I see aren't even able to run halfway down the field, okay? So the coaches aren't the ones running the football down the field. They are coaching the team and enabling them to do what God has called them to do. Each Christian is supposed to be involved in ministering to others in whatever way that God has gifted them. That's actually the context of Ephesians 4 is that God has given gifts to men. And each and every single one of us has a spiritual gift that God has given us that we ought to be using to minister to other people than the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 talks about this in more detail and how we are all put together and we all have separate individual functions, but it is for the benefit and the health of the church. 1 Peter 4 verse number 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I don't think I preached on this during our one another series, but one of the one another's is that we are to be ministering to one another, to be serving one another as believers. It says as stewards of the manifold grace of God. So ministry is not something that is just for the pastors, for the, the teen teachers, for the Sunday school teachers. It's for the people who clean the toilets. It's for the people who run the sound booth. It's for the people who come to church and you just spend time talking with other believers who are encouraged and need encouragement. Ministry is all of these things. It's anything that we do to serve God and other people in our lives. And as we look at our text today, I'm going to try to point out five marks of an effective personal ministry. Okay, and let me break down that title. There's going to be five points. Okay, easy. One, two, three, four, five. But marks or signs of an effective, a ministry that accomplishes something, that does something for God. Five marks of an effective personal ministry, one-on-one -on -one ministry with other people, being involved in people's lives. Because as we look at Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, we see Peter not just having a public ministry, but having a private ministry with people. Let's go and read the text here. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed through all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dealt, dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed, and they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, 
and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turned him to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. I'd like to open us up in prayer before we jump into these points. Father, you know physically I'm weak. My voice is not strong. Lord, my heart needs to be behind these words and behind the message that you've designed to be preached today. Lord, this is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us. And I pray that you will be glorified, that you will stir up the hearts of everyone here to see their need to serve you in a personal way with other people and to do it in a way that glorifies you and that can be used by you, Lord, for your glory and your honor. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title is Five Marks of an Effective Personal Ministry. As we look at the ministry of Peter, what things characterized the way he interacted and the way he served God in a personal way, one-on-one with the people that he met? Now, in this story, Peter meets two individuals that he ministers to. He's not preaching to crowds. He's not healing in a temple. He is ministering to individuals. And so the first mark that we see of effective personal ministry is that you have to get involved in people's lives one on one. And we see these two individuals in verse 33. It says, And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Peter stopped and he ministered to an individual, to a man who had been sick for eight years. He'd been paralyzed for eight years. This man had probably given up on hope. And and Peter could have just passed him on by and gone on and done the things that that he thought that he needed to do to preach in the synagogue and do, do all these miracles and all these different things. But Peter stopped and he ministered one on one to this man. In the next section we see in verse 36, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. And and in verse uh, 39 it says, then Peter arose and went with these people, and when they had come they brought him into the upper chamber, and, and Peter ministers to Tabitha, an individual. He stops and he takes the time to minister one on one with people. Not just to preach publicly, not just to do the work of the ministry and to teach people and do all these other things, but he ministers one-on-one with people. And I think here that we see that Peter's ministry, Peter's public ministry, was not enough. It was not all that God had called him to do. It was not everything. I could give a lecture and I could preach a sermon and it could have an influence on people's lives, but only in a general sort of way. 
When I get involved in people's lives personally, I can meet their one-on-one needs that they have, and I can minister to them in ways that I can't minister to you from this platform, from this pulpit right here. And so public ministry is not enough. There needs to be more for us to be involved in people's lives. The word of God speaks to all the issues that we face on a daily basis. It has the answers that we need, but we need the specific answers from the word of God applied to our specific situations. And sometimes we need others to help us to make that personal application of the word to our situation. This is why the preacher must not limit himself just to a public preaching ministry. I was first struck with this truth, actually in Bible college, uh, we, had, we had a required book that we were made to read, made to read, okay, we had to read, um, that was called The Reformed Pastor, I say that, it does not teach Calvinism, okay, so don't jump, <laughs> jump to conclusions there, but The Reformed Pastor was actually about this idea of being the type of pastor who is changed by God, and, and the author Richard Baxter was presenting a type of ministry that pastors should have, pastors who have been influenced by God and his word, they should be involved in this type of ministry. And what he advocated was that pastors of the flock would go and they would visit their people. When was the last time that that happened for most pastors in in our nation today? That pastors would go and they would visit their people and actually minister to them one-on-one in their homes. The Puritans of the day that Richard Baxter wrote they fought against this in, in some ways, and they thought it was hard um, be, because <clears throat> they weren't used to it. This is what pastors used to do. And then they, in their fight against Catholicism and all these things, they kind of drifted a- away from it. But in the meantime, this necessary element had fallen out of practice in their lives. And Baxter came to the conclusion that the practice of visiting individuals and families, teaching them one-on-one and visiting them in their homes had become so neglected that it, was, that it was no longer even considered to be a problem. And I think that's really where a lot of us are in our churches today. Our, our ministry, we, we default to public ministry alone. But we need to be involved in one-on-one personal ministry with people. You can't avoid people and expect to have an effective ministry. That's really what this comes down to. Some of us are really backwards. I am a backwards person, okay? I would rather have a book and sit in a corner and read it and ignore everybody. That's, that's what makes me happy, okay? So I don't, I don't choose and I don't want to go across and talk to somebody because it takes work. I don't know what to say. I don't have a clue, okay? And, and I could hide, but you know what? I can't have a ministry to other people if I'm hiding in a corner. I have to get up. I have to walk over there and I have to talk to them. I have to be involved in people's lives one-on-one if I'm going to be effective as a minister. I can't hide from what God has called me to do. And, And here's the point. This isn't something I'm just called to do. This is something you are called to do. All of you are called to do this. And you can't hide. You can't run away from it. God has a specific spiritual ministry that he has called you to do. Seek to use the gift that God has given you. You cannot hide your spiritual gifts and avoid people. I know that all of us are not public speakers. We're not used to talking to people. But you can't shut everyone else out and still expect to have an effective ministry with other people. Ministry really is all about people. 
It is what defines ministry. It is not um, administering a building and building bigger buildings and making them look pretty. It is not even getting up and singing a perfect song without fault and without flaw. That is not ministry in and of itself. Ministry is meeting the needs of other people. It is reaching out to other people and encouraging spiritually other people and growing and edifying other people. And, that, and so that applies to everything that I do in this building, whether I'm vacuuming the floor within, in this auditorium. That can be done as ministry because I want to the people who walk in our doors and I don't want anything to be a hindrance from people hearing the gospel. When I get up and I sing, is my song about ministering to other people and to glorifying God. Ministry is all about people. Everything that we do should be and should revolve around, around people. This all goes back to the motivation behind what I do. It only becomes ministry when it becomes about God and it becomes about other people. At some level, we need to get down to the one-on-one -on -one relationship with people in our ministry. Peter stopped from his busy, crazy lifestyle and he was willing to minister one-on-one -on -one with people. There are people in this congregation that have needs. One of the things I have challenged the deacons with since I started pastoring, in fact, we've created what we call care groups. You guys don't know what care groups you're part of, but each deacon has a group of people that they are supposed to reach, to, reach out to, to be aware of their needs, to know um, how we can spiritually these people. That effort was intended to get them involved in one-on-one -on -one relationship with people within the church. But there are people in this church that we don't have a clue what their needs are. And if you never go and you never talk to them, you're never gonna know. You may not know that uh, somebody is struggling with an issue. Tonight, I'm actually gonna be preaching on, on miscarriages, okay? Um, I told the singles I would be preaching to you. I changed my mind. I'm preaching to you next week. <laughs> so, but we're gonna be talking about miscarriage and deal, dealing with that biblically. And, and a lot of times that type of a struggle is not something that people make public. They don't just advertise it. How are you going to know they're struggling with that? How are you going to know that they're dealing with that? Unless you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with people. You get up and you talk to them. That's the only way we'll ever even know what the needs are. And Peter was willing to do that. Peter stopped and he ministered to the personal needs of people within his ministry. So the first point is you have to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with people. The second point we see here in verse number 34 is you have to find your strength in Jesus Christ. Verse 34, and Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. The work that Peter did in ministering to these two people was miraculous. That when, when we use that word miraculous, sometimes we, we drift in the spiritualese, this Christianese type of language, and we don't stop and we don't think about what do we mean when we say something is a miracle. What we mean is it was impossible. It couldn't have happened. Aeneas couldn't have been naturally healed of, of his para paralysis. And to make this even more obvious, Tabitha's dead. Okay, Is anything going to happen to change this circumstance? No, it was impossible. And yet God was able to do something in Peter that was miraculous, that was impossible, that could not have even been, been even dreamed of happening. When, when Peter turns to Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. It wasn't Peter's power. 
It wasn't Peter's godliness. It wasn't anything about Peter that did this. It was Jesus Christ's power working through the apostle Peter. We do not have it in ourselves to create real change in people's lives. You want to be effective at ministering to other believers? You don't have the skills. None of you do. You might think, oh, I'm a great speaker, or I'm a really bubbly, happy encourager, okay? But those skills are still not going to be enough. You're going to fail. You don't have it in you, period. That's, that's how it is. The, the real strength that we need for ministering to other people doesn't come from your innate natural abilities. It comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He has to give us the power to have an effective personal ministry. And notice here, personal ministry is not about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's not for your glory. It's not for your benefit, not for your reputation. It is all about Jesus Christ. And Peter points this man to Jesus Christ and says, Jesus Christ is the one making you whole today. So if we are going to have a, an effective personal ministry, we must not draw on our own strength, but on Christ's strength. When it is all about us, we will work ourselves to death. We will be exhausted. Burnout exists in the ministry. But I honestly believe that the number one reason that it exists is because people are not drawing on the strength of Christ, but they are trying to manage things in their own strength. And so they, they think they have to throw more at it to make it effective. And they exhaust themselves. You can get exhausted working in the ministry whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, working in the nursery, vacuuming the floors every, every Sunday, coming and singing music can be exhausting when it is in your flesh. But Jesus Christ needs to be the strength that we draw from if we are going to have an effective personal ministry. <clears throat> and we need to make a distinction. When we talk about effective, it's not saying numbers. Okay? A lot of churches define effectiveness by numbers. That's not effectiveness. Changed lives is effectiveness. That's what ought to matter to me. That's what ought to matter to you. When we are ministering to other people, we want to see God change people's lives. If numbers were the standard of success, churches in Oklahoma would be pretty successful, right? Because there's some pretty big ones in the city of Oklahoma City. You would think with the number of people who pack up their cars and go to church on Sunday, that Oklahoma would be experiencing revival everywhere that they go because there's so many Christians. Are there really? Okay, numbers are not the standard of an effective ministry. If so many people are truly saved, we would expect to see everybody loving the Lord and loving Jesus Christ, and there'd be this amazing revival in America, but only Jesus can change the heart of people. You can come up with all kinds of methods to draw numbers in in the flesh. You can do that in the flesh, but you can't change lives in the flesh. That can't happen because only Jesus Christ can change the heart of people. Now, the strength that we need, first of all, is a gift from God. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, in Awanas or any children's programs that you've had, you probably heard this definition for grace. It's a gift I don't deserve. Have, you, have any of you guys heard that definition before? Okay, well, there's some truth to that. Because grace is a gift. It is something given to us by God. I can't drum it up. I can't earn it. I can't manipulate God to give it to me. It is a gift from God. And it comes from him and from him alone. <clears throat> 
You can't say, if only I just stay faithful to God, God will have to give me the strength that I need. That's just trying to manipulate him. You can't create the strength by your time management skills. You can't create the strength that you need for effective ministry by watching your health or micromanaging things. And I'm not saying don't do any of these things. But what I'm saying is those things will not produce effective ministry. They can't because they are just the flesh. That is not where the strength comes from to have an effective ministry. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I believe we sang that last Sunday, right? Be strong in the Lord. Our strength must come from God and from God alone. We need God's strength. But we need God's strength because our battle is not a physical battle. If it were a physical battle, you probably could start using the stuff that you need to, to fight this battle. Like if, um, sorry, Amanda, you're the first one that popped up into my head. But if Amanda stands up and she's got a sword and she's going to Okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to pick up a sword and I'm going to attack a man. It's a physical battle. I'm going to fight it physically. But that's not the battle that we are facing. Our enemy is not physical. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy. In Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a physical battle. But we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are forces at work in this world today that are greater than we are. They have more power than we are. They are spiritual enemies that we face on a daily ba battle. Demons and devils and evil spirits. And if you think you can do that on your own, you're deceiving yourself. We need God's strength because our battle is not fleshly. It is against a spiritual enemy. And your enemy is the devil. We need... God's strength in order to serve others because honestly we will burn out like I said before first Timothy 1 verse 12 through 13 says and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry and the idea is Paul is thanking Jesus because he gave me the strength to serve other people and then we need the strength to speak this is one of the areas I struggle with I like I said I am backwards I am naturally more of a shy type of person but 2 Timothy 4, verse 17 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known. Paul needed the strength of God to preach the gospel to the world. Because honestly, we don't have it in us even to do that. And so maybe you struggle with talking to other people. The answer is not to hide. The answer is not to pretend like it's not an obligation. The answer is to ask God to give you the strength to do what you need to do. Because God has called us all to personal one-on-one -on -one ministry. We have need for strength because life is not always easy. We talked about this in, in Sunday school today. Serving God is not always easy. We will, be be, we will be beat down by the waves of life, by the trials, the difficulties. When you try to serve other people, not all people like that right? Not all people are saying, yes, bless God, I needed to hear you tell me that I'm living in sin. Right? That's not generally how people respond. And that can be hard. And so we need God's strength to stand firm and be faithful when life is hard, when it's difficult, when people aren't, aren't grateful for the ministry that we are providing. Philippians 4 verse 11 through 13 says, not that I speak, of, speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now this last verse you know, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But what's the context? Whether it's I'm on top of the world or I'm down in the depths of despair in the worst possible place, I can abound, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And so if we're going to be have an effective ministry, we need to have a one-on-one -on -one ministry with people, but we need to draw our strength from Jesus Christ. Peter didn't heal in his power. He didn't heal in his name. He healed in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ maketh the whole. The third point here is if you're going to have an effective ministry with people, you need to make yourself available. This goes in hand in hand with being, having one-on-one -on -one ministry. But let's look at verse 36 through 39. Acts 9, 36 through 39 says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. And they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And let's just stop right there. Okay, is Peter in Joppa? No, he's not. He's got a ministry somewhere else. He's doing something somewhere else. He is occupied with something somewhere else. But when the disciples come to Joppa, or to Lydda, to ask him to come quickly, what is Peter's response? He drops everything and he goes immediately. He is willing to make himself available to meet the needs. Now there, there are two things that, that amaze me about this passage. First of all is this. These disciples, they came to ask Peter to do something. But Tabitha was already dead. They had to have had the faith to believe that Peter was able to raise this woman from the dead. And you, you see that reinforced by the fact that they didn't put her in a tomb. They didn't put her in a, in a hole in the ground. Where did they put her? In the upper room. You don't put dead bodies in, the, in your bedroom, I hope, right? Okay. So that's not natural. They've got to be thinking something like, this. we're going to call Peter, and Peter could raise her back from the dead. They had faith that God could do this, even the impossible thing that they had hoped. They had faith. But the second thing is that, that Peter was able, was willing to just go immediately and to do this work of the ministry. <clears throat> Peter drops everything and he comes immediately. He, like I said, he was a busy guy. Peter kept himself busy. But I think, every, <clears throat> I think <clears throat> of everything that we go through throughout the week, your guys' lives, just your guys' lives alone, right? You get up, you go to work, you work eight or so hours, maybe more each day. You come home. You, maybe you got to fix some things at the house. You got to cook dinner. You got to spank the kids. No, okay, take care of the kids. You got to do all these things that you need to do as a parent, a husband, um, a homeowner, and then doing your devotions, all those kinds of things. And life can get so busy in, in the way that you live. Pastors, we've got a lot of things going on too. We, I mean, honestly, our, we're on call 24-7. Basically, that, that's our ministry, on call 24-7. And so you add on top of all those things, the preparing of ministry, the planning of activities, outreach evangelism, 
praying for the people of the church, visiting visitors, private counseling, and then putting out administrative fires. Hopefully we don't have any of those, okay? So putting out all the fires around that are going on. But Peter was a busy man. But that wasn't an excuse. He didn't say, oh, I can't do this because I'm so busy. I've got this ministry in Lydda that I've got to go. Or I'm planning on going to such and such a city. Maybe he wanted to get to Caesarea because that's the direction he's heading, right? And it's a bigger city. Peter didn't say that. Peter dropped it all and he came and he made himself available to the needs of one individual. One individual. If you're going to have a per an effective personal ministry, you have to make yourself available to people. But doing so is going to cost It's going to cost you. It costs Peter in three ways. First of all, it cost him physically. Now, the city of Lydia, Lydda and Joppa, they're actually kind of close, but they're, they're 12 miles apart, 10 to 12 miles apart. Now you, and, and when you read a commentary, you think, oh, that's pretty close. That's easy to do. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you walked or ran 12 miles? Anybody here? Daniel, you don't count, okay? So most of us can't, can't do this. This is physically exhausting to get up from Lydda and walk. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have any of this stuff. He's walking on feet. And he walked from Lydda to Joppa. That, that physically costs him something. Peter could have stayed in Lydda, right? So it cost him, first of all, physical effort. It cost him time. He has to, he's now going, and he's going to spend some time in the city of Joppa. And when he gets there, notice in verse number 43, it says, And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa. So Peter goes and he, and he spends a lot of time in the city of Joppa. But that wasn't the original plan, was it? And so when you make yourself available, sometimes it's going to cost you physically, emotionally, that effort that you have to put into it. It's going to cost you time, spending with the person one-on-one. -on -one. But also it's, it's going to cost you a change of plans. Peter, like I said, he wasn't planning on spending all this time in the city of Joppa but he was willing to let God redirect him and God to change his plans. I think of the Apostle Paul when he was, uh, <clears throat> when he was called in, into Macedonia. He let God direct him. God move him. It wasn't originally his plan. He wanted to go somewhere else, but he was willing to do what God wanted him to do. And to be honest, those individual one-on-one -on -one needs that people bring up are oftentimes God saying, hey, this is the opportunity. This is what I want you to take care of right now. Because this is a need I need taken care of. And, and Peter was, was open to being used by God in this way. He was willing to be relocated, willing to be moved around. I uh, signed up recently for a, uh, to audit a pastoral administration class. It's actually the one David just took recently by Carrie Smith at Veritas Baptist College. And uh, <clears throat> in that class... He, he recommended having a schedule, write down your daily events, but he made this piece of advice, schedule in buffer time, because if you don't, you're always going to be frustrated, okay, because you have no, no flexibility in that. If you're going to have an effective ministry, you have to make yourself a little bit flexible, and you have to make yourself available, and I think it all comes down to this. We all know that we're not supposed to worship idols, right, but sometimes we can take our time and our schedule, and we could turn that into an idol. This person is an interference to what I have planned to do today. And you will not have an effective ministry as long as people are an obstacle in the path to you fulfilling your, your checklist for the day.
And so if we're going to have an effective ministry, we need to, first of all, have a one-on-one ministry with people. We need to depend on the strength of the Lord. We need to make ourselves available. The fourth thing here is we need to pray. Verse number 40. Peter comes in, and he sees Tabitha. She's dead. She's lying on the bed there. And all the, all the widows, they're crying. They're showing him all the things that, that Tabitha had made for them. But Peter's response is not to give in to the grief and the despair of the situation. Verse 40 starts with the word, but. That's a contrast. But Peter put them all forth, and he kneeled down. And what did Peter pray? What did Peter do? He prayed. Okay? This ties in with the second point. We need to depend on the strength of our Lord. But one of the ways that we do that is by prayer. We seek his, we seek him. We ask him to do something. If we are going to avail ourselves of the strength that we need to do ministry, we need to be men and women of prayer. So oftentimes we can become so busy doing things that we have no time for prayer, as if it's an extra add-on, a nice thing that would be good to do if we had the time. But it is not an add-on. It is the essential thing in our ministry. If we do nothing else, that alone is a powerful ministry. I think of Dwight the other day. Jeff and I, we had lunch with Dwight on Monday. And Dwight has been struggling because he's been shut up in his house without anything to do. He can't minister in the ways that he used to. But Dwight prays. And I challenged him with this truth. If if all you can do is pray, you are doing a great work for God. And as, as men and women who are seeking to serve and to minister, we need to pray. How many of us have truly labored in prayer over specific needs? Not just reading through your prayer list, but entering into those needs and interceding on behalf of those people. This is what we call intercessive prayer. You're, you're fighting a battle. You're wrestling with God for the needs of other people. And so one of the greatest things I think a pastor could do, a Sunday school teacher could do, um, a te- any teacher could do is to pray for their people. Notice Peter, he didn't give in to the overwhelming grief, but he took his need to God in prayer. Peter faced an impossible situation, but God is the God of the impossible with whom nothing is, in so, is impossible. But so often I think we are too afraid to even dare to ask for the impossible things. Uh, James 4 verses 2 through 3 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Why? Because you don't even ask. You ask not. We don't have because we don't even ask. And then when we do ask and we receive not, it's because we ask amiss, because we want to consume it upon our lusts. It's a selfish request oftentimes. But how many times have we let things, needs go by that we didn't even bother asking about? We, a bill needed to be paid. And instead of praying about it, we pulled out the credit card. And we paid for that bill with the credit card. Because we didn't have the money. Ask God. Pray. Ask God to do something. Because God can do the impossible. But if we're going to be effective, we need to be men of prayer. <clears throat> According to a poll done by Crossway, the average pastor spends about 30 minutes a day in prayer, while most lay people spend about 10 minutes in prayer a day. And I actually got onto, what is it, Baptist blog or Baptist board or something like that, and was reading through there, and all those guys were saying, I only pray four minutes a day, and they're pastors. I'm like, how do you f- expect to have an effective ministry 
if you are not availing yourself of God's strength, God's power, and spending time with God alone, you will not have an effective ministry without prayer. We need to make prayer a priority, not just in my life, not just in David's and Pastor Carsey's lives as, su as Sunday school teachers, but in all of our lives if we're going to minister effectively. It needs to become more of a priority. Fifth point here, and this ties into the first point, you need to serve people. You need to serve people. Now, this is a little bit different than when I said you need to serve people one-on-one. -on -one. The idea there was you need, to serve, you need to serve people, right? This point is you need to serve people, okay? Uh, that's the difference here. You need, it needs to be about service, okay? If you're going to have an effective per ministry in people's lives, you need to serve those people. It's all over the text. It's everywhere that we look in this text. And so far, we've put the emphasis on what Peter did, and Peter definitely did this. He served people. But there's somebody else that is mentioned here, the secondary character, and that is this lady, Tabitha. Tabitha in this text, I didn't want to overlook her because she is such a great example of godly womanhood, of a woman who serves God and, and wanted to please him. Because what is Tabitha known for? It says here in verse 36, Now there was a Joppa, a certain damsel named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She was full of good works. She did good things. Oftentimes when we think of good works, and as Christians we think of being good, we think of not doing bad. But that's the negative. That's not good works. Good works is positive. What good things am I doing to help other people? What works am I doing? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should work in them. And this is the teaching of Scripture. You are not saved by the things that you do. You are saved only by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus Christ accomplishes our salvation for him. The only thing that we do is place our faith in what he has done. We accept him as our savior by faith. It is not by works. It's not by your baptism. It's not by feeding the poor. It's not by making clothes for the homeless. None of those things save you. But we are saved as believers to live a life of good works, to do those good works, it says here that we should walk in them. They are the result. They are the product of our saving faith. And the implication of this verse is that Tabitha was doing good deeds for people. But then it also says that she was giving alms deeds. Okay, She did things for the poor and the needy. James 1 verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Tabitha met the needs of those who couldn't provide for themselves. She gave to the poor and to the needy. This is one of the reasons we had the blessings bags uh, around Thanksgiving time that Tracy organized for us, right? My end goal was, yes, to meet the needs of the poor, but more to open your eyes to what we could be doing, what we ought to be doing. This is not just a nice thing to do. This is something that we ought to be doing. And, and Tabitha was doing this. And notice in this text here, in uh, verse number 39, 
It says, Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And the implication here is that Tabitha had made these clothes for her, for these widows, and they were wearing them. They were wearing them and showing them off to Peter as their mourning for her. These were mementos of the life that Tabitha had lived, and they were remembering her because of what she had made for them. She provided coats and garments. Mark 10, verse 25 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Be following the example of Jesus Christ and serving other people. Again, it's not about us, it's about others. Uh, during the 1800s and the early 1900s, a group of women got together and formed what they called Dorcas societies, okay? I probably would have stuck with the name Tabitha in our society. Dorcas just doesn't sound good, okay? But they formed these Dorcas societies. And what these societies did was they got together, they provided, um, they, they bought the materials, and they got together and they sewed clothes for the poor around the world. These clothes were oftentimes given to missionaries to give to people on the field. But they purchased it out of their own pocket, they sewed it in their own efforts, and they made sure that it was given out to people who had needs. And these type of ministries spread all over the world and helped a lot of people at that time. But Tabitha gives us a great example of a believer who sought to minister to other people. I think it's easy to slip into thinking of ministry or church as another task. Something to do, to get off my checklist, that's on my schedule for the day. But we forget that it is all about God and it is all about serving other people. So if we are going to be effective, if we're going to have God bless our ministry, we need to realign our values according to the principles that we see in this text. We need to seek one-on-one ministry with people. We need to depend on the strength of the Lord. We need to make ourselves available, <clears throat> we need to pray, and we need to serve people. Let's go ahead and close our eyes, bow our heads, and we'll have a time of invitation this morning, if you don't mind standing. I'm not asking you this morning, do you serve? 